this is The Bittersweet Life, and I'm Katie Sewell. This show is a journey for all of you explorers of the world, traveling or living abroad permanently or temporarily, reminiscing about when you lived in a different culture, or looking for the next chapter after getting home. I hope you enjoy our company and the international authors, journalists, and expats that join us as guests. If you've never heard the show before, I encourage you to go back to the beginning and come along for the whole journey. Or jump around as soon as you get a sense of things. Most of all, we're really glad you're here. This episode of The Bittersweet Life is brought to you by Stackery. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the U.S. With Stackery.com, you can shop at any U.S. retailer and ship anywhere at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free U.S. address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, save 10% off your first shipment by using the coupon MANJA. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we are recording this episode on a very special day, although it's not coming out for a couple weeks. But even still, we wanted to capture the day and the mood of the day. So what day is it today, Tiffany, as we're taping? It's my book birthday. Book birthday! (laughs) It's the publication day of my first book. So it's kind of like one of those extra special days that never, ever comes around again. Even if, hopefully, I will have another book, there'll never be the the publication of the first book. So it's exciting. Yeah, and given now uh, having a book birthday and also having birthed a child into the world, the book took a lot longer. It took a lot longer, but it was a lot less painful. (laughs) More enjoyable. I would much rather relive this day than relive the day my son was born. (laughs) As beautiful as it was to bring him into the world. Go back and listen to that episode if you missed it. It was painful. Yeah, yeah. So remind us, though, the book is Midnight in the Piazza, which is coming out March 6th. So you can tell we recorded this a long time ago, if you're listening. And the reason we're doing that, we don't usually do that, but we're both going to be traveling so much that we wanted to get some episodes in the can. So we make sure we didn't get behind. That's right. But the book itself, I was trying to remember, took you, what, seven years to write? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to calculate, but more or less, I started, I got the idea for it, just the basic idea actually in 2008. <laughs> so almost 10 years ago, it was the fall of 2008. I didn't start working on it until 2009. And I worked on it for about a year to a year and a half. And then I had to plan a wedding. And I basically stopped working on it for about a year. And it took me about a year to plan my wedding because I was very involved, as you might remember. <laughs> it was very, very complicated. <laughs> I didn't touch the book for a year. I started working on it again, I guess, around 2012, sometime in there, late 2011. And that's when I really started working on it hard and really focusing on it. I had sort of been doing it very off and on before, but but from that point, I started to be more serious about it. And I would say that the, how shall I put this, the version that I sent out to agents was done by summer of 2014. So it took me another two or three years after that. So let's say one year before my wedding, three years after my wedding, but then after 
getting an agent. I had to revise again. I worked for another maybe two years on it, a year and a half after that. So if you add that all up, I'd say a good solid five or six years. Easy. So do you remember... And we, we're not going to give anything about the plot away because you should read Midnight in the Piazza. Well, you can give some hints. You can some give hints. some little nuggets. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, when you said that the idea came to you in 2008, what was the idea that actually came to you? Do you remember? I do kind of remember. First of all, I've always loved children's books, all types of children's books from picture books all the way up through middle grade and young adult. I hadn't really discovered that much yet, but now I love young adult as well, but really, really loved, uh, you know, chapter books, all of it. I just loved all children's literature. And I think I had a special place in my heart for middle grade literature, which is the eight to 12 or so, eight to 13, 14 age group. So I kind of had this idea in the back of my mind nibbling away at me that I wanted to write a book for that age group anyway, regardless of what it was about. Then I was in a bookshop it was in an English section of, the, of a bookshop in Rome, and I was looking at all of these memoirs about people who'd moved abroad, like, you know, the Under the Tuscan Sun type book or Host, Hotel Pastis, or, you know, these books that were very, very popular around the year 2000 and just kind of kicked off this whole genre of expat memoir or travel. I mean, travel memoir had already existed, but these very sort of romantic stories about people who go on these adventures and live in foreign countries. And it's just a genre that has been done to death, especially if it's going to take place in Italy. There's so many books about people who've moved to Italy. I just, I, I knew that even if I could write something in that genre, even if it was good and different, how could I even get someone to read it? Because they're just going to say, read that, read that, heard that, done that, you know? Yeah. So I was sitting there in that bookstore or standing there and I thought to myself, has anyone ever written an expat story, whether it be a memoir or, an, or a novel, from the point of view of a kid, written for kids? And I couldn't think of anything. You know, nothing that I know of it might exist. But, um, and that's where I really was like, hey, I'm going to do this. And I had a couple of visuals in my head. I had a visual of this young girl who's an expat who moves to Rome, 12 years old. Eventually she, she became, uh, we changed her age to 13, but she was 12 when I originally wrote it. Arriving in Rome on the way into town from the airport and standing on the top of the Janicolum Hill at early in the morning and looking out at the city and how it's all shiny pink at that hour. And that's how I wanted to start this book. And that's how I started it at first. And then of course I, I ended up cutting that scene entirely, <laughs> yeah. which is funny because it was like my very first image of the story. Can I had a couple of different ideas. I knew she, I wanted her to live in Piazza Mattei. I knew she, I wanted her to have a view of the turtle fountain out her bedroom window. Because when I first moved to Rome, I had a yoga student. I don't know if all of you know that I used to teach yoga. I had a private yoga student who's now a good friend of mine named India, India Bediner. And she's in her 20s now, but she was 13 at the time. And she lived in Piazza Mattei and she had a view of the turtle fountain out her bedroom window. And she was like me, an American, but she was a young American. And the book was not inspired by her. The character is nothing like her, but that aspect of it was inspired by her. So I had these sort of little, they were really just little snapshots, no story at all. I did not sit down and write knowing what the story was going to be. I had no idea that it was even going to be a mystery or that it was going to be so closely linked to art. So I just started writing by the seat of my pants, as they say, and it just came out. It just, the story just 
unfolded and the characters as well. The only character that I had in my head before I started writing was my main character, Beatrice. I knew from the beginning her name was going to be Beatrice. And all of the other characters just kind of like popped up. And I have to say writing like that is fun in a way because it's really exploratory and, you know, you can kind of go anywhere you want with it. But if you're writing a mystery, (laughs) it's kind of hard because... (laughs) you unwittingly create these huge plot holes for yourself just because you're going off in your own little direction and you're just kind of having fun with it. And then you get towards the end and you're like, oh, wait a second, I got to tie up all these loose ends. I got to go back and I got to add clues and that's going to affect the plot. So I'm going to have to change it. And so that's one of the reasons it took me so long to write because I had to do massive, massive rewrites and revisions. Well, I mean, every writer does, especially, you know, in their early years of writing. But I think I had to do extra uh, intense revisions for that reason. When you have these loose ideas, this image of her on a hill and the Turtle Fountain apartment, those are your two concrete images, and you sit down to write, how did that process start? This is my problem. I guess I'm getting at a problem I have. I have all these ideas, but I find it so daunting to like sit down and try to actually start constructing it into something. Sometimes I'll do it, but oftentimes I'll just put it off, put it off, and do the things that seem easier. Easier than writing the story that you want to write or different scenes in the story that seem easier? Well, yeah, sort of like the idea of sitting down to write a story and and hoping that it comes out good enough that other people will want to read it seems daunting enough that I often will put off the starting of it entirely. I think that that is your first mistake. You should never think about, oh my gosh, is this going to be good enough for people to want to read? That's like, ah, just like, don't even let that thought go through your mind. Because the moment that thought grows through your mind and the doubt starts to creep in and the inner critic starts to creep in, and that is not what you want, especially in a first draft. Uh, And that's why I love doing NaNoWriMo so much, because it gives you the permission to write really, really crappy. Yeah, NaNoWriMo meaning the National Novel Writing Month. Yes, which we've talked about before, but... Just recapping for those who don't know. Yes, true. Very good point. It's when you try to write an entire novel or 50,000 words of a novel in one month, a 30-day month, no less. So I try to do... I've done that twice now, and it's. I think it's such a great exercise because it, it at the very least, even if you throw the whole thing away and you never turn it into anything else, it gives you practice of A ignoring all of those critical voices in your head and ignoring, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I got to sit and work on this sentence for a half an hour and I can't move on until this sentence is perfect. You can't do that when you're doing NaNoWriMo. So it teaches you to just be like, okay, whatever, this sentence, I can't come up with the right word. So I'm just going to put brackets and a three X's. That's what I do. I just write like X, 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 and then I come back to it. Or I, I might even just skip a whole scene and be like, okay, finish this part later and just go on. So that's really good practice, just learning how to write like that. And then The other uh, great thing about it is that it just teaches you to just be disciplined and just be like, okay, I'm going to write. Just like a pianist who sits down at the piano every day and says, okay, now I'm going to practice. Whether or not you're in the mood, whether or not you're feeling good that day, you just do it. So I love NaNoWriMo for that, but that's another topic. Back to your question, how do you just start? Here's some advice that I learned from a wonderful podcast called Writing Excuses, which if you're an aspiring or professional writer, it's very useful. So check it out. These guys say that when you're sort of plan, and they're all, they're all very big planners. They, they kind of plot their books out, almost all of them who do this. It's like a group podcast with like four or five writers. And 
couple of them have talked about when you're planning your book, when you're plotting it out, when you're just, even when you're just sort of brainstorming your book, come up with a couple of really great scenes. Maybe you already have in your mind, oh, I would love a scene in which, I don't know, Harry Potter is fighting a giant snake with a sword, you know, whatever it is. Um, not that, because that's already been done. But you know. <laughs> Try to come up with something original. Yeah. Yes, if you can. <laughs> but come up with whatever it is, and then reverse engineer it. So you say, okay, I really want to have this giant mm, toad who's, you know, fighting with a porcupine. I don't know. And <laughs> how do you get there? <laughs> and work backwards from there. You know, you could already have your plot and you just want this really great scene and you got to figure out how to work it in. Or that could be how you brainstorm the plot of your book. Um, but that's one thing that they have recommended. And I'm trying to, to work on that. Now I'm trying to use that technique now with my, my work in progress that I'm working on. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I would definitely say banish all thoughts of, is this going to be good enough? Because that's not going to help anybody. Yeah. Don't think about there being an external audience at any given time. No, not at that point. I mean, those, that, that comes later. You eventually do want to think about that. And as you write, be like, well, is this scene interesting? Is it really like bringing anything to the story? Maybe I should get rid of it. There's a time and place for that, but not when you're first drafting your first draft. You want to just go with the flow, in my opinion. We're going to keep this episode short because you need to go out and celebrate this momentous day. But I remember <laughs> talking to a writer friend of mine about what it was like to have a book come out. And he said, well, it's sort of like the biggest non-event. All of this time you're like waiting, 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 waiting for the day that it's going to come out. And then the day comes. But it's not like anything really happens that day. It's not like yeah, exactly. a parade happens or you get to take the day off from work or whatever it is. And it's not like... All of a sudden, 10 million copies are sold as soon as it hits the shelves. What's been your experience of having it be the day that it's actually out in the world? Similar, similar. I was up really, really late last night working on stuff that I'm going to be, you know, that I need to have done for my trip to the States and my little mini, very mini book tour. So I was up really late, which, I'm, which is not something that I like to do, but I did it. <laughs> and um, I only got like four and a half hours of sleep or something ridiculous like that. And so I've been kind of tired all day, which doesn't really help. Plus it's been really disgusting weather today, just pouring, pouring rain all day. And my 40 minute commute took me an hour and 40 minutes. So oh, man. yeah, it was a nightmare. So it's kind of been an icky day on other sides, but I do got to say social media really helps with making it feel like more of an event. And as much as I diss social media, I do got to say I'm liking social media today because I'm tweeting a lot about it. I'm posting on Instagram and people are retweeting me and tons of people are writing and saying, hey, congratulations, or even better if people are like taking a snapshot of the little email that they got from Amazon saying, your book shipped today or it'll arrive today, you know, and that just makes me so happy. And so for that reason, it has felt a little bit more of an event because there are people around the world who are who are involved in this with me and my editor, she tweeted at me something. And, and so it's, it's nice. And my husband is giving me lots of hugs today and telling me how proud he is of me. And I've gotten a few messages from friends. So it's actually been less of a non-event than it could have been. We're going to go out and celebrate tonight, have a glass of wine, get the babysitter over. That's my mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so it's good. And it's, 
we've talked about this before. I have a hard time coming to terms with things, whether it's, oh, I'm a mom now, or, oh, I'm married now, or, oh, I'm an Italian citizen now. It's, it's hard for me. Like, things sink in. Even my father's death, you know, things sink in for me with difficulty. So I'm trying to be like, hey, remind myself every so often, I'm a published author. It's pretty cool because I have been working on this for so long and dreaming about it for so long to like look at the book and see it there and it's physical, it's a physical thing, it's real. And it's not just a book, it's not just something that was put together. It, it's something that's been distributed all over the United States and in some parts of the world and, and it's exciting and my story is out there and it will always be out there. Hello. Do you want to say something? Hey. We usually tape when Aurelia is sleeping, so this is a big event. Here, sit up here. Ugh, ugh, ugh. He's so heavy. He is such a big boy. Now, can you say hi, Katie? Hi, Katie. Can you say hi to all our listeners? Hey, listeners. <laughs> That's so cute. Okay, can you, go, can you go play with Papa? Can you go play with Papa? Can you go play with Papa? Don't pull my earphones, please. Hey, play with Papa. He's got a surprise for you. Papa is a surprise. I hope he can come up with a surprise. I hope he comes up with something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Anyway. Well, we should we should wrap soon so that you can actually go get that glass of wine and have that babysitter come over. But I do have one more question uh, because there is this thing within the arts community where, and we've touched on this a little bit before, where there is some competition. When you're an artist type and you want to write a book, like maybe some of you listening want to write a book or you're currently writing a book and somebody else gets their book out there and you just still, for you personally, you can't see your way there. You so want that for yourself, but you can't see your way there. Do you feel like any animosity from anybody on this particular day? I haven't received that. Whether people are out there thinking that, I don't know. But I have not been on the receiving end of any of that. And I, I'm kind of, um, you know me, I'm kind of like a positive Pollyanna type person. And so <laughs> I don't even notice things like that a lot of the time. Somebody might say something to me afterwards and say, oh, that person's jealous or something. I'm like, no, come on. Like I just, and I mean, even if it's true, I don't dwell on that. And, you know, and on the other hand, I try not to fall into that trap myself because I'm not like a 21 year old who's just got their first book published. I mean, I'm, I've been around a while and I've been working on this a long time. I am in no way a prodigy. And I have friends who were published years and years before me and who did other amazing things years and years before me. And I just look at that and I, I mean, I have my moments, of course, um, when I compare myself or whatever, but I just try to think of that as like, hey, this person did it, so why can't I? Yeah, you and I both, for whatever reason, for the most part, basically feel pretty positively about stuff like this, which is interesting. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder if that was part of our theater training growing up or be. if it's just sort of our personality types. But, you know, we both kind of go in at the world thinking like at the very least, people aren't worried about us. And if they are, they're for us. Yeah. <laughs> Why would they be against us? We're not against them. We both have that sort of view of the world, whereas I know some other people view the world as very hostile and that you have to always have your defenses up and which I always find surprising when I find that out. Yeah, I think the truth is most people don't really think about you at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Whether for positive or negative, they just really don't care. 
And that can be true. Like when you when you're going through something personal, let's say that's kind of unpleasant, like a really bad breakup, or maybe you lose your amazing job and you're in a kind of difficult situation financially, and you think, oh my gosh, my friends are looking at me and they're judging me. They're probably not because they're not thinking about yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> they're thinking about themselves. And um, either way, I think it's good to remember that. Whether you have a reason to gloat or whether you have a reason to be embarrassed, just maybe do neither. Yeah, right. It's like keeping up with the Joneses thing. I read that article. Did I tell you that I saw this article that said that um, the keeping up with the Joneses thing is so real in parts of America that if your neighbor wins the lottery the neighbors have a tendency to go more into debt. Really? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It is like, interesting. Your neighbor wins the lottery. Maybe they buy like a speedboat. And whether or not you think about it <laughs> from a psychological standpoint, you kind of just start to amp up your spending to keep on par with one another, which I think is so interesting. Anyway, that's a total side note. So I do have one more question, though, because I always have one more. You always have one more. That's okay. This is exciting for me, Katie. So I'm happy to talk about it. Okay, good. Let's talk for the next 45 minutes. No. <laughs> uh, so this has been a goal of yours for a while, like at least 10 years, if not longer, right? Yeah. And you're a very goal-oriented person. Yes, I am. More so than other people I know. So goal-oriented person, the goal has been achieved. Mm. So now what? Book number two. Well, one, let's revel in the achievement. Thank you. Yes, thank you. you Do I, like, this is literally the day my book comes out and you're already saying, what's next? It's like, geez, give me a second to rest on my laurels, Katie. (laughs) That's the thing. I guess, I guess that's what I mean. For a person like yourself, can you just take the rest of the year off at this point? Are you kidding? Enjoy it. No way. I am so behind. I am so behind. I promised my agent the first draft of my book in September. It's March. Okay. The next book. The next book. Yeah. My work in progress. I told him I would have it to him by September. It's March. It's not done. (laughs) So no, I will not be resting on my laurels. And the best case scenario here is that the book sells really well and I get some good reviews and my editor contacts me probably through my agent and says, I want to have a sequel and I want it in three months. And then I'm like, oh, holy crap, because <laughs> I've been working on this totally other story that has nothing to do with Midnight in the Piazza. It's not a sequel. It takes place in a different century. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing. I do have a rough draft of a very rough draft, a NaNoWriMo rough draft of my sequel to this book. So I have the story, I have the plot, I've even drafted it, but it's in really bad shape, but I haven't looked at it since November, 2014. So I hope that that happens, but that's going to be a lot of work. But I mean, obviously it's good. So let's hope that happens. Yeah. And I thought it was actually interesting, little insider book knowledge, that the reason you're working on a book that's not a sequel is why? Well, uh, my, okay, first I should say some authors, when they get a book deal, they do get like a two book deal or a three book deal, or sometimes even more, where the editor is like, I want this to be a series. I want to buy three books. And they put up a, an initial investment in order that they have the three, the three books or whatever it is. But that doesn't always happen. And when that doesn't happen, it did not happen for me. When it doesn't happen, my agent explained to me that usually the editor is a little bit gun shy and they don't want to invest in that second book unless they know that it, the first book is going to sell quite well. That doesn't mean they won't buy a second book from you that's a totally different story 
but they might not want the sequel unless it did really, really well. So my agent suggested that I work on something completely different. And so I shelved my sequel to Midnight in the Piazza, and I'm working on this totally other thing. And part of the reason for that is that they assume or they know that you want to keep writing and working on something. And so they're sort of trying to direct you, you know, it's not like they're saying there's a guarantee that we'll buy another one. They're just saying, we suggest that no, if you're going to be writing more, not. write something else. Yes. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so by the time people hear this, your book tour, I think, will be over. Yeah, we'll probably be both back in Rome. Yeah, that's kind of interesting to think, well, the live show will have already happened. But how do you go about marketing a book like this? Because it's not like you have a huge marketing team behind you. So what's your strategy? I didn't really have a strategy, Katie. <laughs> um, I could use all the help I could get, quite frankly. Getting too complicated, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not very good at marketing. I'm not, that's not at all my background or even something that I'm interested in. But obviously, I know I have to do it. And so I've been just posting a lot on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And by the way, uh, I know you guys know all of our bittersweet life handles, but my Instagram is Tiffany Parks Rome, and my Twitter is The Pines of Rome, just in case you want to follow me. Since I'm talking about marketing myself anyway, I might as well get that in. Might as well market <laughs> yourself, yeah. Yeah, might as well, <laughs> shamelessly. So um, I've been doing that. I've been contacting people who do author interviews on their blogs and on their websites, and I've been offering to do interviews. I've been offering to do a few giveaways. I'm going to do a giveaway through a, a website called From the Mixed Up Files of Middle Grade, I want to say. It's a website all about middle grade writing, and I'm going to be doing a giveaway with them in case you're, anyone is interested in participating. Things like that. Like I'm kind of doing it in a very organic way, but hopefully a way that a way that will work. I'm obviously, as you know, doing some bookshop appearances in the States. I'm also going to be visiting several schools when I'm in the States. And hopefully, you know, people will start to talk about the book. And if kids like it, they will t tell their friends or the parents of the kids who like it will tell their friends. And that's my strategy. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to work. That's the way it always works, right? With anything. Like I'm also this. on Goodreads. I am on Goodreads. And there are like 700 people who have marked my book to read. So I feel like that's a good, hey, um, it's a yeah, good sign. That's great. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, we should leave it there so that you can go out and celebrate in style. Well, first I got to make dinner for my kid and put him to bed. So oh, well. <laughs> not like it's not going to be an all night so glamour. glamour thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to make him a really, really rich dinner, right? Because, you know, it's a celebratory day. I guess I should. That would be that would be a nice thing to do. You're right. Yeah. I'll see what I can come up with. He's in a phase where he doesn't want to eat anything, though. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to bother. Be sure to take some pictures so that we can celebrate remotely with you. I mean, this is the another issue of uh, living abroad is, is I would take you out or join you on that drink tonight but of course I can't I'm on the other side of the world well we have so we have plenty of opportunity in Seattle and in Rome for that so that's right but thank you yes before we go I just want to thank our intern Estrella Gomez for being amazing thank you Estrella you are awesome check her out at lacasablaga.com and find us on all our social medias and until next time this is The Bittersweet Life I'm Katie Sewell I'm Tiffany Parks join us again and you can find Midnight in the Piazza anywhere books are so <laughs> yes and be sure to get that book tell a friend about that book and tell a friend while you're at it about this show yeah this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell signing off one more time 
And I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks to Stackery for supporting this program. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. With Stackery, even though you live abroad, you can shop at your favorite U.S. retailers at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your package, and a tax-free U.S. mailing address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, you can save 10% off your first shipment. Just visit stackery.com and use the coupon code MANJA. That's M-A-N-G-I-A. Thanks also to the listeners who've donated to keep this show going. We can't do it without you. If you haven't yet, visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the Donate button. Any amount donated will be rewarded with a handwritten thank you note and our huge thanks.
The bittersweet life re the bittersweet life relies on your support to stay on the air, so to speak. Please consider donating and telling a friend. It's easy and it really helps. It's easy. It's easy and it really helps. Think of it as buying your podcast friends a coffee. Think of think of it as buying your podcast friends a coffee. Or better yet, a dinner. Just look for the word donate at thebittersweetlife.net. And while you're there, find all sorts of other cool stuff too. Like how to reach us, articles, information about our guests, pictures of us as kids, and more. Thank you for your support. And if you do donate, look for a letter in the mail. You thank us, we'll thank you back with good old-fashioned snail mail. Talk to you next week.